It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Good afternoon and welcome to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, joined behind the glass by Michael Bronner and... Of course, we always welcome your phone calls at 251-694-1055. And again, don't forget, we do have our WNSP Days of Revelry. And when you hear the Mardi Gras montage of music, make sure that you're the third caller and you'll receive our WNSP swag bag here and you don't want to miss out on that WNSP days of reverie when you hear that Mardi Gras music we'll have that swag bag for you you become the third caller at 251-694-1055 is how you can reach us have an outstanding show scheduled for you today here on the final drive and again SEC basketball we talked about it yesterday does anybody want to be the number one team in the country in college basketball? I think that's the question a lot of people will have answered because for the eighth time this season, you have a loss by the AP number one team in the country. And that ties for the most in regular season history since 93-94. And that just goes to show you that when you go ahead and you fill out your March Madness brackets, you might as well go ahead and cheat and fill out more than one because those brackets are going to go up quickly in smoke and fill them out with pencil too because, again, you just don't know who wants to be number one. Alabama, the Crimson Tide, get knocked off last night 68-59. to The Tennessee Volunteers coming off a couple of tough losses, one in buzzer-beater fashion to Vanderbilt, and then you turn around and you lose another one to Missouri so you knew the volunteers were going to be hungry playing in front of 20,000 last night at Thompson Bowling Arena and I posed the question on yesterday would the Knoxville faithful storm the court the way that they did Neyland Stadium and I really thought that they would but they did not and again a nice performance by the volunteers and Again, they, they, they are a team that I think is capable of beating any team in the country, and they did so last night without two of their starters, Josiah Jordan-James and Julian Phillips. Both did not play last night for the Tennessee Volunteers, and they're normally starters who contribute to Rick Barnes and the Tennessee Volunteers, but... Alabama ranked number one for the first time in 20 years. And the next game, of course, they go down 
in flames the same way they did 20 years ago when they were ranked number one. It didn't last long. Now, do I still think and believe that Alabama is definitely a top five team in the country? Absolutely, I do. And I think that when you don't turn the basketball over 19 times, you give yourself an opportunity to win. And even though Alabama did not shoot the three ball extremely well, they still gave themselves an opportunity to win. And Michael tied at 29 at the half, and then you turn around and you only lead one time in the entire game. When it's tied at 29, I felt that the Crimson Tide definitely had an opportunity to get it done. Yeah, I, the they had 12 of their 19 turnovers, I believe, in the first half. So when when, when you get to halftime tied at 29 in a game that you really feel like you're not playing very well, you you got to be you got to be happy to be tied at halftime. I, going into halftime, I felt pretty good about their chances to win the game because I thought they'd start playing better, and and they did. I think they cut down on the turnovers numbers wise in the second half uh, before getting into the Alabama side of things here. I I, I do want to just say Tennessee's a really really good basketball team. Uh, the fact that they have four losses in the SEC right now is is almost tough to explain. Obviously, you lose that early one to Kentucky at home, which it happens, uh, and then you go on the road and lose to Florida, and then back-to-back buzzer beaters against Vanderbilt and Missouri. So, I mean, four losses, it just happens that way sometimes. You're still full two games behind Texas A&M, although I think this Tennessee team is a, is a heck of a lot better than Texas A&M. I mean, this Tennessee team... Has gets really good play out of their guards in Ziegler and uh, Vescovy, and then the big man last night in uh, uh, it was Adu. He had like twelve rebounds. I Al- Alabama got got out physical last night, and we we'll get into the refs and we'll get into all because they weren't they weren't good. But you turn the ball over nineteen times, it's it's hard to win a game of basketball. Well, Alabama suffers its first conference loss, and that's the last Power Five school to not be undefeated and Alabama's now 22 and 4 Tennessee goes to 20 and 6 and you mentioned that the Volunteers were only ranked number 10 in the country you had a top 10 matchup and that was important but when you're turning the ball over as much as Alabama did last night you're not going to give yourself an opportunity to win and I, I think that Quinterly Again, a user in the app says Quinterly is a turnover machine, and I have to agree that he definitely didn't play his best basketball, especially down the stretch. And you start looking at the number of minutes that he played right at his average of 17 minutes, but those turnovers led to some 26 Tennessee volunteer points and from beyond the arc. Alabama was only nine out of 24 and Tennessee 6 out of 23. And when you start talking about the rebounding battle, Alabama did win the believe, rebounding which it was, battle. I couldn't believe it when I looked at the when I looked at the numbers today when I went to write my column that that Alabama actually did win the rebounding battle cuz it did not feel like it. I mean, they got I, I think Tennessee uh the amount of offensive rebounds they were able to pull I Tennessee definitely had more offensive rebounds, but that that's kind of why it felt like they lost the rebounding battle, but yes, they did have about four. Alabama did have about four more rebounds. Yeah, well, let's get into the Quinterly thing because we we've gone back and forth on that a lot. I I was giving him 
his fair share of criticism early in the season. While again, he's still working. His, he was still working his way back from a torn ACL, obviously in the Notre Dame game last season, uh, and he's become an important part of this team, and 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 still is. You know, he's 24 years old. He's a good leader, but. What, what do you get with Javon Quinterly? There, there's good Javon Quinterly and there's bad Javon Quinterly, and they both show up almost every night. And last night you got almost exclusively bad Javon Quinterly. He just kept throwing the ball away. They couldn't get the ball. I mean, it was so frustrating. And then with about two minutes left, it's a six-point game. Alabama finally is able to get a stop, which their defense wasn't bad last night. Nate Oates said it, uh, but they just couldn't get stops down the stretch. They do get one stop. Quinterly tries to go coast-to-coast coast and behind the back. It's just shades of, shades of Quinterly of old. and He, he has grown up, but... He turns back the clock sometimes and uh, and tries to do too much with the ball and it it, it is it is maddening it, it it is just maddening when when uh when they throw the ball away like that. Well, I I think that when you start listening to what Nate Oates had to say last night post game, I think that pretty much sums it up for how he felt Tennessee really dictated the uh, the pace of play. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, it wasn't that they got completely dominated on both sides. I mean, the refs were a factor. I think probably not as much so as people want to say. Uh, but they didn't say. I, I don't know if you were you were watching for in the first five minutes, but they kind of set the tone for this is going to be a physical game and. The refs are going to let a lot go, and it wasn't. It was just inconsistent. I mean, there was a ridiculous blocking call on Brandon Miller with about five minutes left. The refs aren't the reason they lost the game. Tennessee was the better team last night. That is the reality. Well, uh, and if you disagree with that, well, I don't know what game you were watching. But. Yeah, I, I agree that Tennessee was the better team last night. You start talking about the number of personal fouls that were called: twenty-one against Alabama, eighteen called against the Tennessee Volunteers. So really only a three-foul disparity or differential there in between the game. And you start talking about the rebound. And from a rebounding standpoint, Alabama again out-rebounded Tennessee 43-39. to And that's when you start digging into that box score, trying to find out how did the Crimson Tide come up short? Who who did not come to play? And you, you Betty Ako was not 100% healthy, but he, he stepped on the floor, gave the Crimson Tide 17 minutes and only had two points. And I think that Betty Ako has to give you more than he did last night because he, he gave you five rebounds. And I just think that if he's going to step on the floor and play 17 minutes, you're not going to get a double-double from Betty Ako. That's not who you're asking for. But when you start looking down on the bench, who who do you call on? Because Burnett had 11 points last Burnett night. Burnett was great last night. He was probably the best player on the team last night. And, and Brandon Miller, we know that night in and night out, what you're going to get from the consistency of a lottery pick type player. But, again, Nate Oates definitely summed it up in his press conference when he was talking about how physical the Tennessee Volunteers were. Tennessee proved why they got the number one defense in the country. They had 
did a great job on us. We turned the ball over way too much. I mean, they had eight turnovers. We had 19 turnovers. They scored two, or we scored two points off their eight turnovers. They scored 26 points off our 19 turnovers. To me, that that's the biggest area of the game. And it, you know, it was their physicality. They got into our guards. We didn't handle it well. We obviously didn't do a great job preparing our guys to go against the physicality that was going to come with this game. The un underneath out of bounds where we turned it over a few times. We, we coaching staff's got to do a better. I got to do a better job getting us ready to play in a game like this. You know, we only get them once. You know, if we get them again, it'll be the SEC tournament. So, hopefully, we're uh, better prepared to play against a defense like this. And you know, our guys have now seen it. I mean, there's. The reason these guys are good. Yeah, there is a reason those guys are good. I mean, considering they lost two buzzy beaters to Vanderbilt as well as Missouri, you take away those two losses and you're 20 and 22 and four. And those are two teams that you definitely on paper were going to beat. Now, the, the thing that disappointed me the most about Nate Oates' comments was he. He's ultimately going to, as the head coach, going to take responsibility. And, and and that's what you're supposed to do as the head coach. But when you said you didn't have them ready to play, you didn't have them expected to play up to the physicality of Tennessee. And that that's something knowing going in. That X is going to be, that bullseye is going to be on your chest. And I know he talked about saying that he had them ready in practice and couldn't simulate as far as his backup or his second string to to, to simulate the, the physicality of Tennessee's players. But going in, you have to know you're going to take Tennessee's best shot, especially in front of 20,000 volunteer fans. And that's what disappointed me the most about the Crimson Tide not playing their best game. Yeah, I I mean you you knew you were they were gonna get the best shot from from everyone moving forward now, but and that that's been the case for the past couple of months now. It, it's just I mean they they didn't get some calls they they should have they should have had, but uh, Nate Oates is not gonna come out and say that uh, he's not Eric Musselman, so he's not gonna come out and, and openly complain about the officiating like Musselman might do. Uh, Texas A&M defeats Arkansas, by the way, last night. Arkansas was up 12 in that one, and so A&M keeps A&M keeps pace. By the way, A&M one game back in the S, and they have they have a tough schedule finishing. I think they play Tennessee and Kentucky. I think they got to go to Missouri. Uh, so we'll see if that final showdown in College Station uh, will ultimately determine who wins the SEC regular season title because I remember Alabama. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty joining you along with Michael Brauner here on the final drive. And we had someone in the app that felt that in the big scheme of things, Tennessee was favored. They were favored by three. And I'm not unexpected that Alabama lost either. I, I would rather the Crimson Tide go ahead and, and get the loss out of their system and not be so much pressure going down the stretch. And I do believe that they will 
in their final five games. I know they'll be favored in probably four out of the last five that they finish and really control their own destiny. But what do you think? Will the Alabama Crimson Tide find a way to to win a regular season SEC championship? We've seen them win the SEC tournament under Nate Oates, but having a regular season championship on top of being a number one seed going into the SEC championship is ultimately what you want. And we mentioned the parity. Texas A&M and Arkansas last night battling one another. Again, the scheduling gods favored great basketball if you wanted to see it because everybody wanted to see the top ten matchup between the Tide and the Volunteers. And then right after that, you got an opportunity to see Arkansas take on a great Texas A&M squad and I think that those two teams are definitely going to get after it so Michael when you look at again just not being able to finish around the basket I think that that was one of the big things that really was to the downfall of the Crimson Tide as well no doubt and a healthy Bidiaco probably makes a difference there I, I think uh Nate talked about that a little bit in his post game, but again, it's like let's have a little bit of perspective here. They were twelve and zero. They haven't been twelve and zero in the SEC since nineteen fifty six. Running the table in the yes, of course. Did we start to dream a little bit on this show and on and on other shows about the hypothetical possibility of them going eighteen and zero in the SEC? Yeah, we did. So I, I'm not going to sit here and say. Oh well, it was impossible to go eighteen. No, of course. I mean, I said it. Uh, we we we've talked about it. But that being said, it's almost impossible to do to go run the table and go eighteen and zero in the SEC. A game like this was going to happen. Uh, this is probably the mo- the you could argue is the most difficult game on their schedule. A true road game against a really good Tennessee team. So. I don't. I don't think anyone's arguing that the sky is falling after this one. You know, relax. It, they're twelve and one in the SEC. Uh, you know, take a deep breath, have some perspective, look at it from a little bit of a, uh, a wider lens, and realize that this team has everything in front of them. They control their own destiny. They have a relatively easy schedule to close the season. They should have the SEC regular season title locked up before the Texas A&M game. Uh, and you should have the top seed going into the SEC tournament and probably get another shot at Tennessee in the SEC tournament. So it's just, yes, I mean, do you want to lose? Of course, you never want to lose a game. Even less so, do you want to lose a game to Tennessee? Of course, yeah, I don't want to lose to Tennessee. That stings. It, uh, it, it, it makes you mad. But it is what it is. Uh, this was going to happen. So... You know, let's all let's all take a deep breath and and collectively regroup and and hopefully uh, beat the hell out of Georgia on Saturday. Six out of twenty one in the paint area for the Alabama Crimson Tide, but as an apper said, the, the turnovers were definitely the difference. Uh, Tennessee valued the basketball a lot more than Alabama did, only committing eight turnovers. And you look at the Crimson Tide digging into the to the box score 19 for the Crimson Tide and when you get outscored 26 to 2 in points off turnovers that's exactly what you're supposed to do with those turnovers is find a way to get points off of them and getting outscored 28 to 12 in second chance opportunities I mentioned that 
Tennessee was out-rebounded by the Crimson Tide, but when you do have that opportunity to score second-chance points, you've got to get it done. No doubt. And another thing, and I want to get your perspective on this as well as a uh, as a former coach, uh, Nate, Nate, he obviously he's a heck of a lot smarter than I am when it comes to the uh, the technicalities of of matchups and back. I I don't get it. Rylan Griffin was not out there coming off of Saturday. Rylan Griffin was the best player on the floor, if not Brandon Miller for Alabama. He didn't play a whole lot last night. You have Quinterly throwing the ball away, turn, turning the ball over down the stretch. Jaden Bradley was pretty good last night. He, here's the thing with Jaden Bradley. He probably is as good as anyone on the team at getting to the rim. But you got to shoot better than uh, 70% from the free throw line if you're Jaden Bradley for as much as he gets to the line. And it, it, it's while the numbers say 70%, it does not feel like uh, 70%. I, I mean, I think he made two for two once last night, but it's, it's almost you can almost guarantee Jaden Bradley's going to miss a free throw every time he gets to the line. It, it is one of, it's one of the most maddening things about this team. You got If he develops a three-point shot next year and improves that free throw percentage, he's going to be a really, really special player. Uh, he, he he was good last night. It's just I don't understand why Ryland Griffin wasn't out there more when uh, Quinterly and Sears were struggling too. I, I just I don't get it. Well, I mean, you start talking about the free throw line. Bradley, 10 out of 14 from the free throw line. Alabama, 16 out of 20 for 80% capitalizing yeah. when the referees did make those calls. And we talked about the foul count and the disparity in the foul count. 21 to 18, only three foul differential. Alabama fouled Tennessee three more times. Now, again, as an official, what you want is consistency. You know, we said somebody in the app said Bradley got mugged every time he went to the basket and no foul call. There were some bad ones. I love the fact that he was being aggressive and getting to the rim, man. I think that, you know, there were some times that Tennessee went to the rim too and they didn't call uh, some fouls. So I think that they were letting both teams play in the first half and when the officials went to the locker room, they made the adjustments, but I, 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 if you're going to let it be all-out warfare in the in the first half, let it be all-out all war in the second half as well. That's what I love to see is the consistency. And I know you do have to make adjustments. And I know me speaking personally as an official, when you look up at the scoreboard and sometimes you see the disparity in the foul count, well, you say, well, who's being the more aggressive team? Why is there a disparity in the foul count? Well, sometimes there's a disparity in the foul count because one team is sitting there shooting from the perimeter and not being aggressive, and the other team's going to the rim every single time they get the basketball. So I think that that is why you can see that foul disparity. But if you're going to let them play on one end, let them play on the other, and I think that's what the officials did do a good job of in the first half of, of really swallowing their whistles and letting them play. Tennessee's defense is nothing short of phenomenal. It's the number one. They're the number one defensive efficiency team in the country for a reason. There were so many possessions where Alabama's trying to get something going from you know the top of the key, and and they're they're chucking up contested threes just because there's nothing else there. I mean, it's either that or or try to get inside and turn the ball over again. It was they were they were Alabama was lost on offense for a lot of the night, and I I don't know. I just I kept thinking that. You know, a, a Ryland Griffin. Namari Burnett was phenomenal last night. Uh, I just, 
I don't know. It, it felt like they kept doing the same thing over and over again with uh, Quinterly. Hey, Qu Quinterly probably played his worst game of the season last night, which is frustrating because he, he's been pretty good the last couple months. We had a user to say, in the user in the app, to say the season is over. Bama will drop three out of the next four games. Yeah, that's well, I don't think Fidowski's a Bama fan. I think he's trolling there. But well, here you go. You you've got Georgia and Alabama this Saturday, Alabama and South Carolina, Arkansas and Alabama, and then in the month of March, Auburn and Alabama, and Alabama and Texas A and M. And I know if you're an Auburn Tiger fan, there's nothing more that you would like to see than to come onto the home floor of Coleman Coliseum and knock off the Crimson Tide to begin the month of March. And that's when that game is on March the 1st between Alabama and Auburn. But with the one-game lead that they have, you mentioned it earlier, Mike, on the 4th of March, Alabama at Texas A&M on the road. And that's a game to where I think that that one could really, really uh, to, to make the difference. Yeah, and I just I I have to think A and M is going to lose a game before. I mean, they I think their next one is at Missouri, uh, which is obviously no guarantee of a win there. Yeah, did Missouri just lose by thirty to Auburn on the road? Yes, but college basketball is weird like that. Probably the sport where home court advantage makes the biggest difference. Uh, I mean, Missouri's a good squad, and I think they they also play Tennessee and Kentucky, so they're. they're potential losses for A&M before uh before the Alabama game whereas Al if you're Alabama you got to you got to beat the heck out of Georgia this week. South Carolina is terrible. You ha I know it's on the road but you got to you got to kick South Carolina's butt as well. Uh and then you got Auburn and and then it's A&M. So it's I mean these are these are these are games you have to win. Well, if you don't you know, I know that you dropped last night, and I felt that Alabama was going to drop one here down the stretch. I didn't feel – I felt the best that they could do was probably four and two coming down the stretch, and you were thinking that Arkansas would probably go ahead and take care of Texas A&M last night, which yeah. did not happen and give you the, they had that, it that, that extra breathing room because that's something that with Arkansas being on the road, you, you wanted to see if they were going to find a way to go ahead and win on that road and turn that corner in. And it would have given Alabama that extra game cushion that they really wanted. And that didn't happen. And, you know, A&M has three of their next four on the road. And Apper says there's no way they win all of those games. They will drop at least one. And, and the best way to have it not matter, you you take care of business against the teams you're supposed to take care of business against. Again, again, you got I I forgot Arkansas in naming that schedule, but again, you got Georgia, you got South Carolina, you got Arkansas, you got Auburn, and then it's A and M. So it, it's just these these are games you you have to win. These are games that are beyond winnable. And if you're a team that's truly the best in the SEC, like they have been all season long, then it shouldn't be a problem. And and I'm not going to make a, a mountain out of a molehill with this loss. I think they're going to be just fine. Yeah, they will be just fine. And will the Aggies continue to be just fine? That's a question that a lot of people want to know. Texas A&M at Missouri, Tennessee, the Volunteers are coming to Aggieland. You have Texas A&M at Mississippi State. Texas A&M at Ole Miss and then to finish their schedule again Alabama the Crimson Tide come 
to play Texas A&M. And will that be for the SEC regular championship on the 4th of March? Well, that's why they call it March Madness, and we'll find out early. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. is how you can reach us here on The Final Drive. Hi, I'm former Major League Baseball player Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner on the final drive this evening. And don't forget, we'd love to include you on the final drive on WNSP's Days of Revelry. The third caller will receive our swag pack, our Mardi Gras swag pack. You don't want to miss out on that. Just make sure you listen for the Mardi Gras music. And when it's played, give us a call. Be the third caller, and you will receive our WNSP Days of Reverie swag pack. A lot of inclement weather going on throughout the state of Alabama, and it's caused postponement of some regional basketball experiences for those that are hooping it up across the state of Alabama. Earlier today, they were able to play a little basketball in Montgomery, and Enterprise was able to knock off the Davidson girls program, and that score was 45-41. to And, of course, Baker's boys were in action, and they won 53 to 41 and LeBaron Phylon scored 32 points against the defending state champion Enterprise and that's a big win for David Armstrong and his squad again LeBaron Phylon having verbally committed to Auburn University only a junior so we have another year to see him continue to to marvel the crowds that he performs in front of, but a big-time win for the Baker Hornets over the defending state champions, Enterprise, 53-41. to Now, I mentioned the inclement weather. Well, Dothan and MGM's girls were supposed to play, and it will be postponed and will be played Saturday at the Crampton Bowl Multiplex and wanted to touch on some girls basketball for sure because again when you start looking at traveling and preparing I know when I was a high school coach we would travel to Montgomery for the regionals or go to Birmingham for the finals you would travel the night before and you would spend the night there and that's exactly what happened to MGM and they were scheduled to play this this morning but because of the inclement weather again we're not able to do so but the Mary G Montgomery Vikings Lady Vikings made a little bit of history, and their head coach, Matt Bosarge, joins us this afternoon. Coach, good afternoon, and I know it's been a chaotic 24 hours for you. 
It has been, man. I appreciate you having me on, Corey. But yeah, it's been uh, it's been something. It's been something for sure. The most expensive uh, field trip to Golden Crowd of all time. Is what I would call it. <laughs> I love that, Coach. And again, it was probably a couple of trips to Golden Corral for sure. Because again, you guys travel up on yesterday, and the same thing happens for your boys. They were scheduled to go ahead and play also, and that one was not able to be played. So. Prattville versus MGM, girls 2 o'clock p.m., Crampton Bowl Multiplex on Saturday. And, again, Dothan and MGM boys, Robertus Kimball has done a wonderful job knocking on that door trying to get into the Final Four as well. But talk about the excitement in Viking land having both your boys and girls reach the regionals. Yeah, man, it's history for sure for us. We, you know, we've never really – we've never had both teams make it at the same time. And so we were super excited. You know, we, we got on the bus together. We we headed up together. The school's been, you know, super excited for us. The admin administration has been behind us 100%. They, you know, had us had us set up in some hotels, and we were ready to rock. Um, we were ready to play. It's, for us personally, this is the first time in 15 years we've uh, we've made it. So, you know, we were excited for the opportunity. But, hey, you know, God had, God had different plans for us with the weather, so. First time in 15 years the Lady yeah. Vikings basketball program has had an opportunity to make it to the regionals. Coach, how many years have you been the head coach at Mary G. Montgomery? Uh, this, this will be my sixth year. This is my sixth year. Sixth year at the helm there as the head coach. And again, yes, sir. Dothan versus MGM postponed and will be played Saturday at the Crampton Bowl Multiplex. Prattville, your opponent. Talk about the Prattville opponent that you were getting ready for, and how do you in your psyche go ahead and you, you what time of day was it when you got word that your game was going to be rescheduled and postponed until Saturday? Um, well, I could talk to you about that first. We, we found out literally halfway through the first game this morning. So Davidson and uh, Enterprise, they're playing, and we were about to, we were literally leaving the hotel, headed to the Garrett Coliseum to play when we got a phone call and said, hey, the game's been canceled or postponed. So we were, you know, we were as locked in as, as, as we could be, ready to go uh, when we found out. Um, and so our boys' team as well, our boys' team was going to play uh, Dothan right after, after us, and we were all going to ride to the Coliseum together. And, uh, you know, we were ready, we were ready to go, but no, um, it was definitely it definitely threw us for a loop. It took us a second to sort of gather it in, and but you know we're gonna you know make the adjustments that we need to make and and get ready because Prattville is a very physical team. Um, they're very physical. They they've won a lot of games this year. Um, we're gonna have to play one of our tougher games um, if we're gonna hang with them. They got you know size. They got speed. Um, but no, they're good. They're a good squad. It's a team with the Davidson Lady Warriors that you only lost to by one point in the area championship game. Of course, in Class 7A, there is no sub-region play, so you go from area championship straight to the regionals. And I know yes. that that was a tough one-point loss because sometimes you like to play a familiar foe or someone that you're used to playing very similar to what we're going to see on the girls' side in 7A in a different bracket with Foley yeah. and Daphne playing one another. But in this situation, you know, I know that with the quick turnaround coming back home again, finding out in the first game of the day that you wouldn't be playing 
how do you really regarner the attention of your team? Do you, does it give you extra days in regards to getting more healthy for the contest, or you know, what, what does it do? You know, I, I, I honestly, I don't, I don't really know uh, much of, in terms of an advantage, really, um, because I, I really believe we were ready to go today, and, and so. Um, you know, yeah, obviously you have another day. You can watch a little bit more film. You know, you can get a few more shots up. But it's just one more day really in between. And in terms of getting healthy, you know, we lost our, our team captain in that championship game against uh, against uh, Davison to a, to a pretty severe knee injury. So she won't be back regardless. But, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, the advantages for it, it's not a whole lot. I mean, we can watch a little bit more film. But honestly, I've watched so much film. I got it coming out of my ears at this point. So we just want to play. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're ready, you know. So I wouldn't really say it's much of it from an advantage standpoint. It, it's kind of like having the rug ripped out from under you right when you're yeah, ready. for sure. And, and, you know, you have the energy. You're in the locker room. You spent the night. You prepared. You told your girls okay. how to go ahead and make sure they, they rest well, even the guys as well. Yeah. Just the anticipation in having to do it all over again with the postponement of a Saturday when you think you've got that routine down pat. Yep. We're speaking with Matt Bosarge, who is the head girls basketball coach at Mary G. Montgomery, who have made it to the regional semifinals for the first time in 15 years, and their game was postponed today due to the inclement weather, along with the Dothan versus MGM boys game, and they will play again at 2 o'clock p.m. at the Crampton Bowl Multiplex facility on Saturday. So, Coach, with that change being made, will you guys go ahead and drive back up on Friday and spend the night, or will it be you guys going up early on Saturday morning to prepare? I think we're just going to drive up Saturday. We, we haven't 100% confirmed it, but it, 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 I think we're just going to drive up Saturday and just go straight there and, and just play. And then, and then once our boys are finished, just drive back, you know, since we – uh. We already did the whole hotel thing. Uh, <laughs> I think we're just going to make the make the trip there and come back afterwards. I understand, Coach. Well, again, congratulations on a historic season. And I know you mentioned you did have an injury to one of your players that did sustain a knee injury. I want you to yeah. go ahead and have an opportunity to shout out the young ladies that have helped you this season so far, whether it be your team captains or whether yeah. it be other young ladies that you want to give a shout out to. I appreciate you giving me that opportunity because, man, they, they, they deserve it. Uh, we started off the season 0-3. UMS Wright kicked our butt to start the season, and then we had a couple injuries here and there. And then our girls, really, they, they just came together, man. They, they got on a roll. We played team basketball. I think we went like six straight games without with where we had more assists and turnovers. Uh, but and, it, and it's really our captains, our three captains. Lily Faulkner, she's the one that, you know, had the bad knee injury. Uh, she's a senior for us. She's, you know, an excellent two-sport athlete. She plays volleyball as well. But she's our, you know, she's our heartbeat, you know, and she's still with us, obviously. She's still, she's hurt, but she's still, you know, uh, coming to the game and all that. And then Deja Broughton, who's won Player of the Week um, and also got the Area Tournament MVP. She's averaging 15 a game. Uh, she she was actually out all year last year with the, with the ACL injury, and she came back this year and has just been tremendous. And then Ivy Klesmer is our other, our other big-time player. She's also averaging right around 15 a game. She just won Player of the Week. Um, as well, the Kiwanis Club Player of the Week, and, uh, and and we just got a lot of kids, man. They play their butts off on defense, and 
we can shoot it a little bit. So, you know, that's uh, that's what that's how we kind of kind of kind of uh, had our success this year. But I appreciate you giving me a chance to give those girls some love because they definitely deserve it. Without question, Coach, it's my pleasure here on the final drive to go ahead and, again, to support local. And we have plenty of local products that are playing. Unfortunately, no softball or baseball today because of the inclement weather. All MCPSS after-school activities canceled. And you guys just be safe on your way home. And thank you for joining us on the final drive, Coach. Appreciate you having me, Corey. Talk to you later, man. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. And give us a call, 251-694-1055. We'd love to hear from you here on The Final Drive. Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to Sports Radio WNSP. Welcome back to a quick segment of the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We mentioned yesterday that Tiger Woods was back in action today. And as he's back in action, Mike, I know that he's already teed off. And how's Tiger doing? Tiger back in action. Uh, looks like he's even through six holes. He actually birdied the first hole, which is a par five. Uh, but it looks like he bogeyed the fourth or a part three so, so he, he struggled a little bit but no even through six so right uh right on that line right where he needs to be and again tiger's definitely going to move that needle and go ahead and get everybody back to watch and to see how he's able to finish up today and you say that's through six through six and again his two partners i know rory mcelroy was in with them as well do we know how Rory's doing today? Let me see. Well, Tiger's back swinging the golf club. And anytime Tiger's back in action, you know he's going to move the needle to R see how Rory's he's doing. one under, by the way. One under for Rory McIlroy. And, again, Tiger back in action. You got to love it. That's one of the reasons a lot of people are golf lovers. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner done with our number one of The Final Drive. We'll bring you our number two coming up. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it.
Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you on this final drive. And it's that time of the year to where we're talking baseball and softball getting ready to start as we get ready to start March Madness. That means that we're going to have three or four great months of collegiate baseball and a team that made it all the way to Omaha last year and played in the College World Series were the Auburn Tigers and a senior baseball writer for the Auburn Daily. Lindsey Crosby joins us here on the final drive to talk about the Auburn Tigers and more. Lindsey Crosby, good afternoon, and thank you for driving us on the final drive. Hey, Corey, thanks for having me today. Appreciate it. Let's talk about where Auburn can go in the standpoint of baseball. You make it to Omaha and the College World Series one year ago and didn't do it the easy way, did it the hard way and found a way just to scrap and claw. And again, with this being a new season and a new team, talk about the expectations coming into this 2023 season. Yeah, Auburn's in a really interesting situation where from the outside, expectations aren't that high for the team because of how much talent they lost. You go to Omaha, uh, driven by co-SEC Player of the Year, Sonny Deshera, the breakout transfer from Samford. But you also lost eight players to MLB in the draft. You lost three-fourths of your starting rotation. You lost your two key relievers, including uh, co-saves leader in the SEC, Blake Burkhalter, and you lost three of your four starting infielders. And so this team entirely believes they are going back to the postseason and that they have a good chance to host a regional. But as we sit here the day before the season starts, no one has ranked Auburn, and everybody says there's a lot of talent. Butch Thompson deserves the benefit of the doubt, but we just don't know how they're going to replace everything they lost. And so it's almost an enviable position to be in, right? Because – People don't expect a ton out of Auburn, a lot of predictions to come in fifth or sixth in the West. And so it kind of gives them the ability to, to sneak up on some teams and maybe win some series that maybe they weren't people didn't think they would. A three game series getting started tomorrow at Plainsman Park against the Indiana Hoosiers. And then you start looking at their overall schedule before you jump in to SEC play. There's some great matchups before March 18th hits and they open up against Arkansas, but the SEC as a whole in the preseason, when you start looking at it, if I looked at it and glanced at it correctly, seven out of 10 teams being ranked in the top 10 in the preseason poll and Auburn playing peekaboo on the outside looking in, just as you mentioned. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not an easy schedule going through the, through the SEC. And Butch Thompson, the head coach, likes to call this the, the best amateur baseball in the world. Uh, but you have a bunch of top-rated teams. And the hard part is all five of your SEC road trips are to ranked schools. You get a couple unranked schools at home, but even your, two of your home series, you have number one overall LSU, who brought in the best transfer class, who brought in the best prep recruiting class, who are preseason number one, expected to win the whole thing. And then you have Texas A&M, who are also a top five program. So it's funny. You do all of that. It's like, okay, 
SEC is hard. Let's do a non-conference schedule of a Power 5 school in Indiana. Let's take a trip on the road to L.A. to play University of Southern California. Let's bring in Lipscomb, who was a feisty team last year. Let's bring in Southeastern Louisiana, who was a postseason team. They came to Auburn for the regionals last year. And so it, this is Auburn trying to build the case using RPI that provided they handle business at home, they steal a series or two on the road. They're trying to say we deserve to host a regional because we played a difficult schedule and, you know, hopefully come out of it with 35 wins still, you know, or 36 wins. So give us a regional versus making us go on the road. And I think that's huge. Anytime you can have a regional that's in your own backyard, you look at the support that was given when Auburn is playing Oregon a year ago, but they're going to jump in after they start that series with Arkansas on March 17th. They're going to jump right out and play a one-game series at Riverwalk Stadium against the South Alabama Jaguars on March 21st. Yeah, something Auburn likes to do is, one, keep some of these midweek non-con games uh, in the state. Not every single one of them is. They're going to Georgia Tech for a home-and-home but they like to do a lot of these games in state and they like to do it in a neutral site. So they're going to play at Riverwalk stadium against South Alabama next week on Tuesday, they'll play a matchup against North Alabama in Toyota field in Huntsville, home of the trash pandas. And then they'll play Sanford later in the year at the Hoover met, which is really just a, a, a tune up for the sec tournament. But Auburn likes to go on the road for some of those midweek games because it helps them in the RPI and you can kind of showcase what your guys can do in a minor league ballpark because the goal is to get these players to the minor leagues. So it's an interesting strategy. I, I appreciate the fact that they'll go on the road, but the beat writer part of me doesn't appreciate the fact that I got to make a long drive there and back on a Tuesday. <laughs> We're speaking with Lindsey Crosby, who is the senior baseball writer for the Auburn Daily. And let's talk about that rotation. It's getting started this weekend for the Auburn Tigers. And w when you start looking at being able to stay healthy, first and foremost, I think that's the biggest thing on any pitching staff is being able to keep guys fresh and healthy on the mound. And Auburn opens up Friday again tomorrow against the Hoosiers. Who's going to have that opening day pitch? So uh, first pitch tomorrow belongs to Chase Alsup, the sophomore righty out of Dothan. Worked entirely in relief last year, but one of those traditional higher velocity righties uh, getting the first start of his collegiate career. Talk to him this afternoon. He's very excited uh, one thing that he didn't necessarily think about until we asked him today is the starting pitcher gets to select the uniforms the team wears. So he's had to spend a little bit of time thinking about that. But he said he, he, he's looking forward to uh, getting a chance to take the ball on day one and hopefully get Auburn in position to win the series early because game, uh, game two is returning starter Joseph Gonzalez. Uh, he's the unquestioned ace of this staff. They want to put him on Saturday so that he can either – win you a series or not lose you a series on day two. And the true freshman Drew Nelson out of Troy, the last year's Gatorade player of the year in the state is going to get the start on Sunday. The big thing to watch for though, is all of these guys aren't really stretched out yet. They've only had three weeks of spring practice. So you're going to see a piggyback situation where another pitcher, another starter 
comes in after these guys are done and takes the ball all the way as late as they can to hand it off to the bullpen. So it's going to be an interesting matchup, but Chase also Joseph Gonzalez and Drew Nelson are your three for the weekend. Lindsay, uh, we, all, we know how dominant the SEC is in, in baseball. Corey said it. Uh, seven out of ten teams in the top ten. We know how good LSU is. We know how good Tennessee was last year. Ole, Ole Miss is always a force. A&M obviously made it all the way to Omaha last year. Who's a team maybe that not a lot of people are talking about in the SEC right now that uh, you think could surprise some people this year? And why is it Alabama? <laughs> I was about to say, Alabama's the team that I'm thinking about on this one simply because you can't overstate the importance of experienced pitching in the SEC. They returned their top four starters. So Garrett McMillan, Jacob McNary are two guys that performed well last year, but the third and four starters, Grayson Hitt and Ben Hess, they're really the ones that made the big jump in improvement. Grayson Hitt added a cutter. Uh, ben Hess had a kind of a jump in velocity up into the mid nineties. And so whenever you have four uh, four good quality starters like that where you can weather an injury or a little bit of poor performance, it really sets you up for the grind that is the SEC. And then, of course, Andrew Pickney, the outfielder, uh, just he, the lineup looks much deeper. He's going to have protection, things like that. And I think he's going to be a candidate for SEC Player of the Year if he improves as much as we think he did over the fall. One of the things that I love about the Auburn Tigers, especially one year ago, is it does have a little Mobile, Alabama flavor in it. When you start talking about Parker Carlson from Faith Academy and Nate LaRue from McGill Tulin, I think that these guys, when you add freshman Cameron Keyshock from Spanish mm -hmm. Fort, Alabama, along with Connor Copeland, there's just a lot of local flavor here on that Auburn roster that Butch Thompson has assembled and they're quality players that are are really really getting valuable time at any position for the Auburn Tigers yeah and and Nate LaRue is the big one there big get out of McGill Tulin there in Mobile and uh, he had a chance to go pro last year turned it down to come back to Auburn I actually have him as my breakout guy on this roster and Right now, the two big names you're hearing about on the Auburn Tigers roster for the MLB draft is shortstop Cole Foster and pitcher Joseph Gonzalez. But my prediction, by the end of the season, Nate LaRue will be the higher drafted of, of anybody who's draft eligible. Uh, phenomenal defense, one of the best arms in the SEC, does a great job at holding down the running game. But in the fall, he's looked like a completely different player offensively. Just hit barely over 200 last year found out that he's actually right-eye dominant, retooled his stance so he could see the ball better, and he's, his offense has taken off. And so I look for Nate LaRue. He's a member of the legacy group. He's one of the captains, as voted on by his teammates. Uh, and he, he really brings that, that mobile attitude, that blue-collar uh, work ethic to this Auburn Tigers roster, and I look for him to have a huge season as the starting catcher for Auburn. You mentioned the 2023 Golden Spikes Award preseason watch list that a lot of Auburn Tigers have won this or, or been on the watch list. You mentioned Gonzalez being the pitcher and the draft pick status. Talk about, again, Gonzalez, why, why people are, are really highly favored on him even being on a watch list for this Golden Spikes Award. Yeah, so... Joseph Gonzalez, the big thing with him is he knows 
his game, right? Uh, has a bigger stature, 6'4", 230, but he specializes in not allowing hard contact. Uh, throws, a, you know, throws a sinker, throws a slider, keeps the ball down. Actually, when the season finished last year, so they go all the way to Omaha, uh, he was the only pitcher on this team to throw a complete game. He had a complete game, five-hitter against Vanderbilt. He then goes to USA Baseball's camp, uh, ends up spending – the entire summer with them was one of their best pitchers when they go to the Netherlands, gets 11 and two thirds innings, 13 strikeouts, not a single run. And so the velocity doesn't blow you away. He's not a guy like a Casey Mize who was number one overall pick. and would strike out 15 guys in an outing, but Joseph Gonzalez is going to be in there. And we, when you look up, he's gone through seven innings. He's allowed four or five hits, maybe one run, a couple strikeouts, and you have a chance to win every single time he takes the ball. And that's the real value for MLB teams is knowing that one, he's a gamer, and two, he understands what he's trying to do, and he just leans into, I'm not going to let you square up this ball. Um, I'm going to get out of this, and my team is going to have an ability to win this game every single week. Well, Lindsay, I, I know that, again, the expectation being set uh, for Auburn's baseball team coming off a 2020 two college world series appearance and you look at the momentum of the program how do you continue i mean you look at maybe three or four years ago really covid and and prior to covid auburn baseball had really taken a turn for the worse and people were trying to scratch their heads and find out why that was but i think coach has done an outstanding job of bringing the swag back to auburn baseball yeah, it all comes back to Butch Thompson. He is the type of coach that players want to play for, and he's well-respected in the industry. Look no further his pitching coaches. He had former MLB player Tim Hudson, who has won a World Series, did not need to spend his time volunteering to coach at Auburn. The man's made millions of dollars in baseball, and he comes and spends a couple seasons... Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty here along with Michael Bronner. Help you on your final drive to the house or wherever you may be going. We want to thank everyone for giving us a call here at 251-694-1055. And again, don't forget our WNSP Days of Revelry. You want to make sure you listen and tune in for that Mardi Gras music that Michael Brauner plays so you have an opportunity of winning a swag bag from WNSP. And don't forget tonight, game day at the Mitchell Center the South Alabama Jaguars will be taking on Southern Miss 7 o'clock p.m. And again, it's a huge game for the South Alabama Jaguars. Richie Riley and the guys at 13 and 14 taking on the conference leader, the Southern Miss Golden Eagles at 23 and 4. And it'll be interesting to see if South Alabama, how they respond tonight. Southern Miss favored by one point, but these two teams met earlier this season and South Alabama battled them. It came down to the last minute and a half of that game. And 
the Jaguars trying to get back to 500. They would be 14 and 14 if they're able to find a way to come away with this win. And Michael, it's a much needed win for South Alabama to come away with here. If they're able to go ahead and win at home to get some momentum trying to move into the conference tournament that's only a couple of weeks away in Pensacola. Oh, yeah, you said one point. They're they're only uh, one point underdogs tonight. Huh? One point underdogs. So again, that? and and it goes back to again Southern Miss being twenty three and four, with that outstanding record twelve and two in the conference. Yeah, I've got it over here as close to almost uh, almost even at this point with the with a little bit of a line shift. So yeah, that, that, that I mean that just speaks to home court advantage in college basketball. Alabama was underdogs last night. It just, like I said earlier. It's, the sport where home court advantage makes the biggest difference. Well, you, you definitely want to wear white to the Mitchell Center today to support the South Alabama Jaguars. And the Jaguars in 10th place currently in the Sunbelt Conference. And you look at the games back of Southern Miss. There's six games back of Southern Miss, but only a kind of a log jam there because you have Georgia Southern, App, Louisiana Monroe, all five games back in South Alabama being six games back, having an opportunity to try to move up in the conference tournament standings. And that's exactly what you want to do if you're Richie Riley and the Jaguars, because when you look at what you have left, it's going to be imperative that you win all your home games here on out. Southern Miss at South Alabama tonight at seven o'clock, Louisiana Monroe at South Alabama on Saturday and then South Alabama travels to Texas State and then takes on the Cajuns of Louisiana. So only four games remaining for the South Alabama Jaguars. Two at home. Richie Riley and the guys trying to get back above 500. We'll continue with the Jaguar theme here as Mark Calvey, the head baseball coach of the South Alabama Jaguars, joins us next to talk what about his expectations that he has and the Jaguars getting their season started tomorrow as well. You're listening to The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. This is Andrew Zell, Alabama former quarterback. You're listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty along with Michael Brauner behind the glass. And don't forget that Mardi Gras music means that you can get a WNSP Moe's gift card by being the third caller here on WNSP 251-694-1055. You can be a winner of the WNSP's Days of Reverie Moe's gift card. And joining us next is the head baseball coach at South Alabama, Mark Calvey. Coach Calvey, good afternoon. I know it's been a very busy day for you. The inclement weather is rolling in, but were you guys able to get in practice this afternoon? Uh, yeah. Hey, yeah. First of all, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we, we got some stuff in. We dodged some raindrops, got some ground balls and, um, skipped hitting on the field, but um, yeah, we, we got in what we needed to. We, we, we were fortunate enough to, to get the little in that we got in today. 
Well, I tell you what, Coach, it's going to start up here in the Jaguar Classics that's coming up tomorrow at starting at noon at Stanky Field. I know that you have to be excited. It's that time of year, and when you start looking at the 2023 Sunbelt Conference Baseball Preseason Coaches Poll, your Jaguars picked to finish six, but some new teams that are coming into the Sunbelt Conference, Southern Miss, as they're making their appearance in basketball at the Mitchell Center tonight, are also making their appearance at number one in the preseason poll. Yeah, the you know, uh, first of all, I'm I'm very pleased with the expansion of the league. I think ultimately, um, you know, your goal is to get into the postseason. Um, it, everything you do is about the postseason, not not preseason or preseason ranking. So, you know, to to get. Uh, uh, you know, I think last year probably we got four teams in. It probably, if we're healthy, probably you get five teams in. But it's all about getting as many teams as you can in the postseason. And um, you know, and, and as far as preseason rankings go, I mean, there's years we're picked to finish. It's almost like the curse. You know, you get picked to finish first, and um, and and it never really works out that way. So we, we just, you know, we have a bunch of new guys, um, a talented roster, uh, but we haven't played anyone else yet. Uh, but a bunch of new guys where tomorrow night will be their first time, uh, you know, playing in a South Alabama uniform, not just Division One baseball, but playing in a South Alabama uniform. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a long road to get to the postseason. And uh, preseason rankings doesn't matter. First, second, sixth, fifth, doesn't matter where you're at. You go out there and you play and, and you try to put together the best resume that you can. And um, with some of the newer teams coming to the conference, I think that helps us. Coach, you're talking about continuity becoming the fifth head coach in South Alabama baseball history. And let's talk about how fast the time is going by at South Alabama so far for yourself and the success that you've had. You just mentioned the new roster, but talk about your time so far at South Alabama and the success that you've had and building upon that success on your roster, not only locally, but nationally as well as South Alabama baseball continues to be a national brand. Well, you know, you mentioned it earlier. It, it, you know, it, this is year 13 for me, and time has really flown. I Shoot, I, I remember, you know, speaking to Dr. Urban on the phone when I was an assistant at South Carolina. It, just, it seems like yesterday. It really does. And here I am, um, you know, getting ready to start up year 13 as the head coach tomorrow. So, uh, you know, when, when you love what you're doing and you work with great people, uh, it, it's really not like coming to work. You know, it, it's like anything else. You have ups and downs, and, and it's, it's baseball, and it's a tough sport, and um, you know, you're dealing with a lot of different things, but um, this has just been a, a phenomenal 13 years. Again, with a lot of highs and, and some lows, like anything else, but a lot more, uh, a lot more good times than bad. And um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to getting out on the field tomorrow. This is one of the newest teams I've had, probably you know, since I may, maybe year 12, you know, or two, you know, 2014. So um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to, to getting a bunch of guys out there and, and you know, some returners and some new guys and and watching them play. We're going to run some different combinations out there uh, in the lineup. We have a couple guys, a couple pretty good hitters nicked up right now at first base. But, um, you know, for the most part, some guys that were injured last year on the mound that, that hurt us significantly uh, are back and trending upwards, you know, and Jeremy Lee and, and, and Sam Knowlton and, and Zach Harlan. So we're pleased with, with where they're at right now. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to cranking the season up tomorrow. Scheduled tomorrow, Northwestern State at South Alabama, 6.30 p.m. and then a double header on Saturday as part 
of the Jaguar Classic at Eddie Stanky Field. 3 o'clock p.m., you'll play Eastern Kentucky. And then, of course, Sunday, you have the UAB Blazers coming into town. And when you're able to get this many teams in some type of Jaguar Classic that has been held on the campus of South Alabama a lot, it gives other teams a chance to see your facilities and, and really to to stay in Mobile and be a part of the great brand of baseball and the tradition of baseball and a great rich history that South Alabama has. That's true. Uh, you know, we have a, we're very proud of our facility and I think, you know, opening the year, a, a former assistant mine of mine here is now the head coach at Eastern Kentucky. And I mean, it could be 17 degrees up there. You know, it makes a lot of sense for them uh, to come down, it's warmer here than it probably is in Natchitoches, Louisiana, as well on a cold. Now it's going to be chilly tomorrow, but uh, I, I think we have four great teams, uh, you know, coming into this tournament, all, um, you know, all, all postseason worthy, no, no question about it. I know uh, Eastern Kentucky won 37 ball games last year, and they have a, a, a large, uh, to a large degree, they have a lot of those kids back. So uh, it should be a really good field. We're again, we're excited to, get, to kick it off tomorrow. The roster. I think is very important, too, because people want to be able to put their thumbprints. And locally, you have a lot of guys from Mobile, Baldwin County on your roster, but a lot of talent from Community College as well. I ask coaches this, has the transfer portal, we know what it does in football, and we've seen what it does in basketball, and has it really affected baseball the same way it has the other sports also? Uh, Absolutely. It it really has. you know, for us, and I, 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 it, it has uh, across the country. Uh, I can speak to us, though. Um, we, we've been, you know, we've been the beneficiary um, of some pretty good players that went into the transfer portal. Um, you know, we haven't lost a- anyone of significance uh, to date. Now, invariably, that, that that will happen because you can't please everybody, and there's different factors out there when you're talking about bigger schools and the amount of money and NIL money that these kids can make and. Uh, that that that's a that, that's a whole nother story. But the transfer portal, um, I don't I don't like it. I don't agree with it. Um, but it it is what it is, and it, it it's part of your recruiting. Um, you know, we we have we have signed some pretty good grad transfers uh, out of there last year. Charles Middleton and Miles Simington. Um, you know, we we've, we've signed some guys that you know satisfied their their eligibility at their former schools and graduated, and and wanted to come here for their last year because they had that you know. That, that extra year because of COVID. Um, this year, we, we were fortunate enough. We picked up a couple of really good uh, transfers uh, in the portal in Austin Thrasher from University of North Alabama and and Robbie Petrossi um, from Old Dominion, uh, you know, hitting the heart of their order, four or five hole for them, left-handed hitter, right fielder, DH. Um, and Micah Morgan, who is a local product, who was uh, player the, Division II Player of the Year from Spring Hill College right down the road. So um, we have... We have gotten more than what we've lost uh, in the transfer portal, but it, it's all about, you know, kind of needs, what you need, and then you got to have the right fit. It can't just be anybody to come in here for one year and, you know, you kind of rent a player. And, um, the, you know, I know other programs do it, but um, there's a certain kind of guy that fits here and there's a certain kind of guy that doesn't. And, um, you know, the way we do things and just kind of the, the culture that was laid here, uh, you know, 60 years ago. Um, that, that culture, even though we're sitting here in 2023 and, um, you know, not, not the mid-60s, but um, the culture, it's about having the right guys, having tough kids that play hard and, and, and do things the right way and, and want to win, and that's, that's what we look for. 
Well, I tell you one thing on your schedule you look for, you're bringing in Nebraska, Iowa, and at March 14th, you have the Alabama Crimson Tide come into Stanky Field. What goes into your scheduling? Because I know so many times in March Madness in basketball, you're looking at RPI, strength of schedule. Were you on the bubble? Did you do enough? And you mentioned that six teams from the Sunbelt Conference received bids and to the NCAA tournament. And that doesn't that's not going to happen in basketball or, or football, an opportunity for a non-Power 5 to get into – the college football playoffs or an opportunity to get more than that automatic qualifier that goes in for the Sunbelt conference. And is that why you bring in Nebraska and Iowa and Alabama and play in other Auburn and other teams throughout the state of Alabama? Yeah, it it is. Again, everything we do from a scheduling standpoint and from a roster standpoint is to get into the postseason, be one of the final 64 left standing and then playing for the right uh, to move on and, and, you know, win a regional and, and win a super regional and get to the College World Series and hopefully win a national championship. So uh, everything we do, and especially scheduling, um, is to, you know, provide your club with, with the best resume because they, they look at uh, the, with the committee when they look, you know, they look at wins, quality wins. Uh, did you go on the road and play? You know, did you play a tough schedule? How many, you know, top 50, top 75, um, you know, type RPI teams that, that you played. What's your strength to schedule? What's your non-conference strength to schedule? I think our league, uh, our league is stronger, so it, it'll hold more uh, more RPI points. But um, you know, w- when you look at it, Nebraska, you know, uh, they, they've uh, they've been really, really good. They've been, they've they've fallen on some hard times a little bit here the last couple of years, but they've been to the College World Series and they're definitely a team on the rise. And I think Iowa um, is in in pretty much every poll ranked in the top twenty. They have the preseason Big Ten Pitcher of the Year. And, um, you know, you mentioned Alabama. I know that they're saying they probably had the best team since Bohannon's been there. And, um, yeah, we, we just our, – our goal is to play a very tough non-conference schedule. I'm just a big believer in, um, you know, n- not fooling yourself and, and, and not, uh, not playing a cupcake schedule. But you learn more about your team, um, you know, when, when you're playing tough teams than you do uh, when you're playing lesser teams. So – uh, my, my whole thing is, you know, by the halfway point, I want to know as much as I can. You pretty much want to have your, your 9 to 11 hitters that you're going to pretty much every day and your, you know, your 8 to 12 pitchers, um, you know. And with this new roster, uh, with so many new faces, um, it's good that we have a challenging schedule, not just early, but our whole schedule is challenging um, because, you know, we'll, we'll get some of those questions answered here um, over the next month or so, like as to who fits where, what, what are your leverage guys late in the game on the mound, you know, who are your pinch runners, who can get bunts down the best when the lights are on, who can't, um, you know, who, who's your best infield. You know, you know we, we're, we're replacing five position player spots, and that includes DH. So there, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of questions uh, that we need answered, and the only way you can get answered is by playing good competition. Well, I know that you're going to have an outstanding season. Talk about the goosebumps, Coach, or what's the feeling that you get? Or were you more nervous as a player when you had that opening day? Because there's only one opening day, right? There's only one opportunity as a head coach to have that opening day. In no way, shape, form, or fashion does it determine or dictate the type of season you're having. But what kind of personal feeling did you have as a player and now as the head coach in your 13th year at South Alabama? Yeah, I think, you know, they're probably more nervous as a coach because as a player, you were at least able to, you had your hand in it. You know, you, you were able to do something. 
um, you, you know, a, a, as a coach, um, you know, you, you try not to get in anybody's way or, or, or put the wrong sign on or, but you really don't, you know, the coach that thinks the baseball coach that thinks he has his hand in wins um, hasn't has, probably hasn't coached baseball that long. You know, it's all about coaching them right and practice and, and preparing them for the games and then, and then letting them play, you know, but putting them in an, a structure and an environment where, where the culture is, is development and, and understanding the game and, um, and, you know, where they need to go, being sharp defensively, pitching and defense has always been a big thing uh, around here. And uh, so for me, you know, as a player, you had nerves just that you were out there playing. You wanted to do well and you wanted to get a hit. And, you know, I was a position player. Um, as you know, and, but you really kind of worry about yourself as a coach. Um, you know, you're worrying about 40 guys, you know, and, and you don't have your hand. It's not like I can get in there and hit a home run and change the game. You, you know what I mean? So, so you're counting on, um, you know, you're counting on the right group of guys that have put a lot, put their heart and soul out there, including coaches that uh, are prepared and, and, and are ready to go play well and, and react in the moment uh, correctly, you know, the way the moment tells them to react. So, um, I, I, our group has worked extremely hard. My coaches uh, are, are outstanding coaches and teachers and, and people, and um, we have a really good group of guys. So, you know, w when you look at it, and I, and I told the guys the other day, I said, listen, you know, th this is this is a marathon right now, you know, and, and obviously you, you don't want to be last coming out running a marathon and, and probably you get out of the gates to it. You know, you, there, there's a balance to this whole thing. Um, but there, there's a lot of games, and, you know, there, there's a certain thing where guys just kind of settle in mentally, um, settle into some roles, settle into some positions. Um, you know, that's, that's really what, what I'm looking for right now. I'm looking for guys uh, to, to settle into some roles, see what. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, along with Michael Brauner. You can give us a call at 251-694-1055 is how you can get in to the final drive. And earlier today, we learned of a baseball legend and Hall of Famer Tim McCarver passing away at the age of 81 being an all-star catcher and World Series champion, basically being known for working a lot with Joe Buck on Fox and having an opportunity to win six Emmys. And not too many times do you see someone play in four different decades in any type of sport, but that's what Tim McCarver was able to do and Tim McCarver made one of the most famous calls for a former South Alabama Jaguar in World Series history. The one problem is Rivera throws inside the left-handers and left-handers get a lot of broken bad hits in the shallow outfield. The shallow part of the outfield. That's the danger in bringing the infield in with a guy like Rivera on the mound. And right there, Tim McCarver basically calling his shot. And that's what happens when you have become a baseball Hall of Famer. And Luis Gonzalez, former South Alabama Jaguar in the Hall of Fame there for South Alabama. When you start looking at being able to know and have the game-winning 
World Series hit. You always dream as a kid about being in your backyard, either hitting the game-winning shot in the NCAA tournament or the NBA finals or making that swing and clearing the bases in the World Series. And Tim McCarver showed why he was deserving of six Emmys and how we're able to sit here and tie that in to Luis Gonzalez and him knowing where the infield and outfield shift was going prior to that pitch even being made in the World Series, Mike, is what made Tim McCarver wanting to get into your living room each and every game that was on Fox or CBS for that matter. And I know he and Deion Sanders had that infamous spat to where Deion threw water at Tim McCarver. And Tim had been critical of Deion Sanders playing both baseball and football for Atlanta. But Tim McCarver, a true legend, baseball Hall of Famer, passes away at the age of 81. The final drive on WNSP 105.5 with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. We'll be talking Tide and Tigers next Coming up on the final drive on WNSP. and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM and online at WNSP.com. It's all Auburn and Alabama sports brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker. Welcome to the Tide and Tiger Report on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty bringing you home along with Michael Brauner behind the glass and it was a tough night for the Alabama Crimson Tide and again in front of 20,000 plus fans at Thompson Bowling Arena. Tennessee defeated Alabama 68 to 59 and Tennessee is a, a is a good team, 20 and 6 and Alabama is now 22 and 4, but someone who always has I call it the best seat in the house, period point blank for the University of Alabama basketball games is the producer engineer for Crimson Tide Sports Network. Tom Stipe joins us this afternoon. Tom, good afternoon, my friend. Good afternoon, Corey, and congratulations. The final drive on 105.5. Absolutely. Hey, man, big time. Big time. I appreciate that so Happy very Corey. much. Thank you so very much, Tom. I can't thank you enough for that. And I tell you, you know, you and I, we've been talking for a while the last couple of years in regards to Alabama football and SEC championship game appearances. And we're used to Alabama football being ranked number one. And here it is 20 years later, Alabama basketball ranked number one 
going into Knoxville last night. Came up a little bit short. 68-59 to 59 was the final score. Yeah, and uh, the thing you got to remember is Tennessee's really a good team. That's, that's a top 10 type team that had lost a couple of heartbreakers at the buzzer. Uh, that th- This could have very easily been a one versus two, one versus three. Um, and, and, you know, this is basketball. Uh, you don't win them all. Uh, you're trying to uh, play your best basketball in mid to late March. And uh, I feel uh, very confident that Alabama will be still playing basketball at that point in time. But, uh, you know, a game like this against a tough and gritty team that really guards you. I mean, Tennessee, defensively, uh, most of the metrics have them number one in America defensively and um, in a tough place. It's a good experience. I mean, Bama's going to have to play a game like this again. It could very well be against these guys in the uh, finals of the SEC basketball tournament in Nashville. But somewhere in the uh, NCAA, you're going to you're going to run ac- run across a physical team, and you know maybe the uh, officials swallow the whistle a little bit, and you got to go play. So uh, it's a learning experience, and. Uh, you like learning with a win, but uh, again, this is hoops, and um, this loss doesn't necessarily hurt anything. Tom, before we keep talking about last night's game, I, I want to ask you a little bit of a general question about working with Chris Stewart, because uh, I'll give you a little peek behind the curtain. We do Corey on door show until 6 o'clock, so obviously I wasn't able to get right in front of a television by, by tip-off, so I was driving home listening uh, to, to y'all's broadcast last night, and Chris... You know, he, he, he had me so fired up really in the first five minutes of the game. I mean I, I was I, I think it was I think Brandon uh, scored on Sakai Ziegler early and, and Chris Stewart just says, We'll take that match up all night long. I started slapping my steering wheel. Man, I mean, what is what is it like working with someone who can get so fired up like that? Well, I tell you what, if you've ever watched the Facebook live cam in our home games, we all get fired up. And uh, one of the things that uh, I kind of pride myself in our broadcast is not just overly Homer uh, like some are, but it is uh, absolutely apparent that we care very much what happens to the guys in crimson and white. And, um, you know, we're basketball fans, we're basketball people. And uh, certainly football is the bread and butter, but man, we're in a, we're in a daggum SEC championship race right now. Of course, we're going to get excited about it. And um, it is, uh, I think, part of telling the story, uh, part of what makes, you know, if we can get you to slap your dashboard, that's a good thing. <laughs> we're talking with Tom Stipe, who is the producer engineer for the Crimson Tide Sports Network. And, Tom, when you start talking about, that Crimson Tide Sports Network home broadcast because, again, when that camera is facing you guys and you get a chance to whether you want to mute the sound on the television or whether you're away from the television or just on Twitter or Facebook and you get a chance to log into that Crimson Tide Sports Network, the excitement that you guys have because it's just all you can see is maybe the first two rows that are behind you, but mostly you guys, 
whether it's coming out of timeouts and we hear you introducing and going to the sideline reporter or just introducing the stations that are flagship stations for the Crimson Tide, how many years have you been a part of Alabama basketball and football? This is Corey, and and, and uh, uh, one of the reasons I do what I do is I wasn't good at math, but uh, my uh, uh, my count is that this is year thirty nine for me, uh, thirty nine uh, basketball, and uh, this upcoming championship season will be my 39th football season and um, I've been uh, very blessed to uh, be around great players and heroes of mine and uh, championship games and goodness gracious there are people that uh, would stand in line a mile to to have my seat and uh, lucky me they pay me to be there so uh, uh, and I'm a Bama guy I went to school at Alabama always been a Bama fan I um uh, I was talking with Chris the other day about uh, something somewhat unrelated, but uh, I used the line that uh, when I was a little kid, I was trying to throw a football left-handed because of Kenny. Yes, and uh, that's how long, that's how long I've been a Bama fan. The Snake Kenny Stabler, of course, our listeners here around the Foley area will never forget forget the Snake and all that he's meant to the University of Alabama. And again. Alabama had the game tied at 29 at the half. So as Chris Stewart says, let's start over. Let's start over. It's zero to zero. And we're going into the second half expecting the Alabama Crimson Tide to probably shoot the three ball a little bit better than they did. And Brandon Miller didn't have one of those stellar games to where it's 27, 28 points. Alabama does win the rebounding war. So with that being said, I, I thought that once Alabama, and again, the score, 68-59, to 59, free throws down the stretch, not being indicative of how close that game was within the last two and a half minutes. Yeah, I mean, it, it was clearly, uh, I mean, Tennessee's, large, Tennessee's largest lead was at, the, was at the buzzer because of the garbage points and the free throws and, and what have you. But uh, – I said at halftime, man, after the way the first half was played, to be tied, I felt pretty good about things. But the thing that gave me a, gave me pause was we were turning it over again. Tennessee forces a lot of that. They are so good defensively. And you just kind of feel like you're never going to get really get on a run and get in, get in the flow offensively. And, you know, they slowed it down. Uh, we we are never going to want to play a game in the 50s and 60s. That's just not who we are. That's not that's not the DNA of a Nate Oates coach team. Uh, but um, so we kind of played the game their way at their place. And and even though you're tied at the half, you don't feel great about stuff. And um, I was happy to be where we were. But I, from what I had seen in the first half, I knew we had our hands full, and we did. And it's one of those, I've said it today earlier in the show, you, you, you want to go ahead, you said it, you don't, you're not going to win them all, but if there is a loss that had to happen within the last six games remaining on Alabama's schedule, of course you do have a top 10 team in Tennessee that's probably going to climb the poles without question, and you still have the Auburn Tigers coming in to Coleman Coliseum. And that last game of the year, 
now that we're just one game up yeah, on Texas A&M. <laughs> You, you do have to play, of course, one game at a time, but that game becomes magnified, especially with A&M having a big-time win against a very competitive Arkansas Razorback program. Yeah, I watched that game on my phone as long as uh, the signal would hold out on the uh, on the airplane. And, um, you know, it was, it was exactly what you would expect. Arkansas is really figuring it out and is playing really well. And uh, Texas A&M is, again, kind of like Tennessee. They're gritty, defensive, really much, very much in the uh, uh, personality of their coach. And um, uh, that's going uh, to be a war. And, yes, we, we played them once this year. So if, if the standings hold, which right now Bama has a one-game lead, uh, that one-game lead means nothing. You go into A&M and you lose to those guys and you you are technically tied, but they would have the head-to-head, so they'd be the one seed in the Southeastern Conference tournament. And uh, nobody wants that. We, uh, Bama wants to win the league. Uh, but one game at a time, uh, Georgia doesn't look like the last two or three Georgia teams I've seen. Mike White's done a good job there. And, um, you know, you got Auburn coming in. We have Arkansas coming in. We got plenty of basketball to play. And, uh, again, one game at a time. Uh, unlike uh, the great folks at 105.5, I heard a uh, sports talk show up here talking, uh, and one of these guys um, on the air said he would be shocked if Bama didn't run the table in the Southeastern Conference. How about run off the road? You idiot. That's hard to do. <laughs> right. That's not going to happen. Hey, but come on, come on. We we don't need to put that kind of pressure on the, on this team. That that's impossible. And uh, I don't know how many teams have done that, but none that I've been around. Um, and uh, maybe Florida when they won their back to back. I think they even lost. It, that's just that is a ridiculous statement. And uh, you're going to lose. You're going to lose a few. And losing to a top 10 team at their home gym uh, in a very competitive game is no disgrace. you got to pick it up and move forward. When you're traveling across the SEC, of course, 20,000 last night, 20,000-plus in attendance at Thompson Bowling Arena. Was that one of the loudest arenas that you've been in? Because I know that – Again, you, you've been in them all, and you've had an opportunity to see them all. At what point in time can you remember the loudest ever opponent or what venue you were sitting in to where you had your headphones on and you still were struggling to hear Chris or Eli <laughs> or whoever was sitting next to you? You know, one of the things that's uh, the way our show works, it's always me kind of leading us back from a commercial break. And I don't know if it's an SEC rule or what, but every time I open my mic, the band starts. So <laughs> it's always really, really loud. And um, uh, I don't have—I don't need to check my Bama card, but I'm going to say something. The guys at Auburn do such a good job with game day, and that atmosphere—I know they do a great job every every game, and they sell out that gym, and the and the atmosphere is raucous because I. I watch a lot of hoops on TV, but when we roll in there, it's that on steroids. So um, 
uh, Neville Arena is is the toughest place to play. Uh, it truly is. Tennessee is big. It's a great building. Uh, it's loud because there's a lot of people there, kind of like Rupp, uh, but it's they're not on top of you like they are at Neville. The other place that uh, can be really difficult when the team is really good is um, the O-Dome in Gainesville. Uh, that place, uh, they're right on top of you, and uh, it can be uh, it can be a tough spot. But you know, they're all tough when you're number one in America and you're yeah. rolling in, and the other guys are excited and they're they're selling it out and uh, they're camping out outside to get in. And you know, man, we we don't run into a lot of lot of gimmies uh, in the Southeastern Conference. Tom, we've been talking a lot today about. Nate Oates and, and his matchup decisions. Uh, obviously, I, I, he thinks about the game of basketball on a, on a higher level than we do. I, I mean, as uh, Rylan Griffin only played 11 minutes last night, but Sears kind of struggled through 24, and obviously Javon Quinterly did, just didn't play well at all last night. So who down the stretch, uh, assuming they, they get their minutes? Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report right here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. We're talking with Tom Stipe, engineer, producer for the Crimson Tide Sports Network. And he was at Thompson Bowling Arena last night and has witnessed Alabama for the second time in 20 years become number one in the country in men's basketball. And I tell you, a very familiar number for the Alabama Crimson Tide football team. And Nick Saban is number one. And Coach Saban's had to revamp both his offensive and defensive coordinators as he's done so. And Kevin Steele and Tommy Rees being named offensive and defensive coordinator. And I know in Kevin Steele's time there on the capstone, you had an opportunity to get to know Kevin. But Nick Saban's the GOAT. I'm not arguing with any decisions that he makes in regards to who he feels is qualified to, to coach underneath him. Yeah, I think that um, one thing is abundantly clear – the man knows what he's doing. And uh, I know that our fans uh, can call an offense better than Bill O'Brien and they can call a defense better than Pete Golding. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, there's one man that has uh, all the championship trophies and rings in his office, and that's Coach Saban. And, um, you know, I don't get too excited about recruiting, although I love finishing number one in anything. And uh, we did that again this year. And um, But as long as Coach Saban is happy with what's going on, uh, I'm happy with what's going on. I have never trusted anything more than Nick Saban is going to roll it out there and fall and uh, be a factor. So, um, you know, our fans can be a little spoiled. I'm one of them, believe me. But um, at the end of the day, uh, he's gone with somebody tried and true on the defensive side of the ball. Something a little different, a little young on the offensive side of the ball. Neither of those moves really surprises me. Um, interestingly, brought in an ex-NFL head coach as a special assistant uh, yesterday or the day before, Ken Wisenhunt. Uh So the thing about Coach Saban, and um, this is nobody's opinion but mine, uh, I was around 
uh, Coach Bryant back in the day. And he was surrounded by assistants that had been with him a long time. And that was fine. Coach Bryant won a lot of games, a lot of championships, arguably the best ever. If Coach Saban isn't, Coach Bryant is. But Coach Saban likes new voices in his ear. He likes new ideas. He wants the best of the best, the youngest, the brightest. That's the way he rolls. And, hey, it works great, doesn't it? Absolutely. You can't argue with the results that are there. And, again, you know, can't wait till the spring game to to actually see them in action. And you mentioned how long that you've been a part of the Crimson Tide Sports Network. And whether it's men's basketball, whether it's the Crimson Tide winning national championships and you listening to Eli Gold, Let's talk about the most memorable moment for Tom Stipe as the engineer producer from a men's basketball standpoint first, and then we'll move on to football. Man, how, how long have I got? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, I, uh, I'm an Alabama guy, and for me it always starts with rings. That's the way Alabama people are. It's about championships. There have been SEC championships uh, when we rolled into the SEC basketball tournament with Wimp, and it was almost expected that we would win that. Those were great days. Man, I was a student here watching uh, Leon Douglas and uh, Reginald King were classmates of mine. And, uh, you know, from uh, Wimp's Sweet 16 teams to Mark's Elite Eight, uh, team and Antoine Petway's ruby red shoes and uh, you know the McDices and the Ories and the Spreewells. Man, it's, there have been a lot of great moments. But you know what? Uh, the SEC championship uh, under Nate Oates, uh, the year of COVID, when we played with not enough people in the gym to really appreciate that bunch that was uh, really anchored by guys that had hung around, the John Petties and the Alex Reeses and what a special player right down the road for you and uh, Herb, Herb Jones. Uh, that team was so special and so very good, the great chemistry. And, and uh, um, there have been a lot of them. But, um, uh, you know, for me, it's uh, are we going to beat Georgia? Yeah. <laughs> are we going to yeah. win this year? Yeah. Um, football, again, it starts with rings. I have uh, – I may be the last guy on the list, but I've been so blessed to be able to to get a pretty nice collection of championship rings. I told Eli this walking into the building at Indianapolis for Indianapolis um, last January, where re- regrettably we lost to Georgia. Um, and um, you know, there are guys that do what we do a long time and never sniff anything like that, and uh, to be able to do it. Uh, at your school, uh, a team that you would be rooting for anyway, you'd be right there watching them. Uh, it's really a blessing. But, um, you know, the players, uh, goodness gracious, how many All-Americans can you can you pile up in a box? I mean, we saw the toughness of Jalen Hurts was right. on display here before it was on display for the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, – you know, I was there when Derek Thomas uh, uh, absolutely posterized Steve Berline with Notre Dame in the sack, and uh, Coach Stallings' great teams with Antonio Langham, and uh, you know you could see 
D'Amico Ryan's uh, in a in a on teams that weren't really that good. But what a char- high character, great player he was, and it's great to see him. Uh, become the head football coach at Houston where he, I think he started his NFL career. But, um, you know, as a kid watching Kenny and, and, and Joe and, and those teams, but uh, in recent years, and maybe it's because at Alabama up until the last few years, traditionally quarterback has been sort of a game manager type position. Um, the way we have played over the years with Coach Bryant and the early Saban teams installing, certainly. The magic of Tua, when you first saw Tua as a backup um, make some of the plays that he did, and you saw him in practice, and you're like, goodness gracious, this guy could throw a football through a keyhole at 100 yards. I mean, the accuracy and the ball never hit the ground. And to see that um, uh, for the first time, there was, you know, everybody gets excited about quarterbacks, and I got excited about two, and I still am. I hope he uh, stays healthy enough to put up a Hall of Fame career in Miami. But, um, you know, there's been so many of them. Julio Jones, when he rolled onto campus, and, you know, there was a new sheriff in town, and it was new. Uh, obviously, the talent level was was rising fast. Uh, with that recruiting class with Mark and Julio. So um, I don't know. How many did I name? A hundred or so? Hey, hey, plenty of them, Tom, to go around. And I know you'll continue to see plenty more. And want to thank you so much for your passion and making yourself available on the final drives, Tide and Tiger Report. And look forward to talking to you here as the Crimson Tide are gearing up for March Madness. Yes, sir. It's Mardi Gras, man. Send me a king cake. You got it. Coming your way, my brother. I appreciate you. Tom Stipe, producer engineer for the Crimson Tide Sports Network, Hall of Famer in my book, folks, joining us here on the final drives, Tide and Tiger Report. Jason Caldwell coming up next to talk about the Auburn Tigers here on the final drives, Tide and Tiger Report. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report on the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. And it's always a pleasure and a privilege to be joined by an Auburn insider. Anytime that anything's going on on the plains, I know that I can call on one Jason Caldwell to keep us informed of what's going on inside the Auburn Tigers. Jason, good afternoon. How's everything going, my friend? Going good, Corey. How about you? I'm absolutely too blessed to be stressed. Wanted to talk to you this afternoon here on the Tide and Tiger Report about the excitement that's in the jungle. I mean, you had the number three ranked team come into Neville Arena this past Saturday. You had the game day atmosphere. The tents were out. Unfortunately for the Auburn Tigers, they came up a little bit short 
But Coach Pearl was able to have a quick turnaround and get the team focused this past Tuesday night, and Auburn absolutely obliterated the Missouri Tigers 89-56. to yeah, um, best game they played this year. Uh, you know, I think you know that one in the, the game at Washington earlier, probably about as well as they played all season. But this Missouri team's been playing really well. Um, but you know, Auburn's defense clamped down, and you know Missouri's not a team that plays a ton of defense. And so Auburn was able to get you know get some offense going and make some shots. Uh, I mean, that's the key. They've had open shots. They had some open looks against Alabama, just didn't make them. And you know, they made some the other night, and it makes a huge difference. Um, you're able to make a few shots and. Then it kind of everything falls into place. But yeah, they you know they actually played pretty good. Played pretty good against Alabama. Played pretty good against Texas A&M on the road. So they actually played some pretty good basketball here the last couple of weeks. Uh, you're going to need to play more. Um, you know, starting Saturday at at Vandy, obviously a challenge playing up there. But Ole Miss at home, and then uh, just a, the brutal stretch run at Kentucky, uh, at Alabama, and then Tennessee at home to finish out. Wendell Green Jr. again, when he plays well, he averages right at 14 points per game. We know what Johnny Broom can do. He's a a double-double machine anytime, but Green Jr. leads the team in points, assists, and steals. Talk to us about what this young man has meant to the reinvigorated Auburn team, and as he goes, so do the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, and I thought you saw – Wendell, you know, I think he's he's put so much pressure on himself to be a scorer. The other night, you know, he didn't do that. He was an assist guy, got other guys involved, and, and they made some shots. And so he was able to, to not have to try to kind of carry the load offensively and was able to just be a point guard. And so I thought that was important for him. But, you know, it's it's kind of everything. Everybody's got to do their part. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, Janai Broom, Jalen Williams, um, Alan Flanagan, KD Johnson. There's guys on this team that can get it done. You're not going to have one guy that's score 30, but if they can get those guys that are, you know, eight to ten points each, and you get five or six of those guys going, and have somebody with you know 16, 17, then you then you become a team that's difficult to guard. And so that's that's kind of the the hope coming into the season. It hadn't worked out quite that way, but um, you know, still a chance to, to to finish off strong for these guys. Well, finishing up strong is very important for the Auburn Tigers. I believe they have five games remaining on that schedule. And kind of switching gears from basketball as we do prepare for March Madness and wind down, you know, you're looking at a tremendous baseball program for the Auburn Tigers as well. And they're coming off their appearance in Omaha a year ago. Talk about the excitement on the Plains and how you look forward to seeing what they're going to do this year. Yeah, you know, uh, the season started tomorrow. Obviously, uh, you know, some weather comes through today. It gets cold again tomorrow, so that's how we know it's the opening day of, of college baseball season. It'll be 45 degrees, so kind of used to too used to that one. But it's a team that you got to replace a lot. Um, obviously, uh, SEC Player of the Year, Sonny Deshera out there is, is, is one of the biggest losses you can have. But, you know, Brooks Carlson there from Mobile was a, a really vital part of this team, you know, as in that DH role. And then, you know, obviously you look on, you know, the mound, you look at the guys you lost. And, you know, you lose Mason Barnett, Trace Bright from the starting rotation. But you lose Carson Skipper as your setup guy and Blake Burkhalter as your closer. So you got some, some key guys to, to replace. This is a really talented roster, I think, from one to – 35. This is about as good an Auburn roster as I can remember, just in terms of talent. Now, a lot of inexperience and, and new faces that you're gonna count on. But you know, there's a lot of arms, guys that can throw. You know, 
low to mid-90s, good stuff. You brought in uh, Justin Kirby, a, a transfer from Kent State that has a lot of power as an outfielder. Um, Cooper McMurray at first base, another transfer with a lot of power. Ike Irish is a true freshman that may be hitting in a three-hole day one as a true freshman. He's a catcher, but a guy that will probably DH because the Mobile's on there. Nate LaRue, Nate LaRue's become one of the best catchers in, in all of college baseball. And so um, so they've got some, some weapons for this team with a guy like Bobby Pierce back, Cole Foster at shortstop, and, and Casey Howell in center field. So just a matter of can, can the pitching – grow up enough early on, um, you know, and against the challenging schedule. We've got Indiana right out of the gate and then add USC in week two um, to kind of get you jump started. Jason, not to just jump back from, from one sport to the other, but I, but I do want to ask you about this. Uh, we made a lot this week about Coach Pearl saying the game against Missouri was a must-win, biggest game of the year. Did, did you see it that way, and what do you think Auburn needs to do in these final five games, obviously two of them very winnable, three of them a little bit more difficult, to lock up an NCAA tournament bid and leave no doubt headed into the SEC tournament? Yeah, I did. I thought I thought there were, you know, you had to, the schedule was kind of broken up in segments, and I thought this six-game stretch, there were three games that were, you know, they had to win when you looked at it, and it started with that you know, Georgia game, at home not too long ago, you look at Georgia, Missouri, Ole Miss, you go, those are three games that you absolutely must win um, if you're Auburn, if you want to make the NCAA tournament. Um, home games, games you should win, those are musts. And, uh, you know, the Alabama games, um, Kentucky, Tennessee games, those are games to go with. Those would be great to have. But the games where you should win, those are the ones, those are, those are must wins. And, and Missouri was one of those the other night. Got another one coming up with Ole Miss, you know, Next week, Vandy's a toss-up. I mean, they play much better basketball on the road. This is one where you go, okay, you're going to have to win one of these. you got to win either Vandy, you know, at Kentucky, at Alabama, uh, Tennessee at home, in addition to that Ole Miss game. you got to win two more, I think. And so, you look at this team, they're 8-5. They're and five, uh, got five games left. I think 10-8 and eight is, is your target goal if you're Auburn to get you in the NCAA tournament. So, you got to find a couple of them somewhere. Ole Miss – better be one and then uh, at least one more of these games jason we've got about five minutes left with you and i wanted to talk about hugh freeze and the excitement that he's brought we saw the jolt of energy that cadillac williams brought during his intern head coaching title and when it was removed for him the head coach of the auburn tigers but hugh freeze retaining cadillac as one of his assistant coaches. I know that's boosted recruiting, and I think that Hugh Freeze is going to turn Auburn around here within the next couple of years. Yeah, no, uh, you know, the difference is, uh, I say it's night and day, but it's, it's more than that. It's more than night and day difference. Uh, you know, you're sitting here two months ago, two and a half months ago, and, you know, before Brian Harson was fired, I thought this is a program that 2023, was probably a three and nine type season. I mean, that that was where they were headed, and immediately got a boost in recruiting um, when he was fired and Cadillac Williams took over. I mean, they added commitments with an interim coach on board, which is unheard of, and they were able to do that. And obviously, Hugh Freeze and new staff comes in, and and they hit the ground running. They they add a lot of help from the transfer portal on both sides of the ball, offensive line and defensive line, especially. It was a must. They had to have that. I mean, Auburn had done a terrible job of recruiting offensive linemen. There's no other way to put it. And they signed, you know, eight offensive linemen in one class, three transfers, 
four high school players and a junior college transfer. And, um, you know, that's, that's half of what they had signed since 2017 total. They did it in one, one fell sweep. Um, so they were able to go out and help themselves on the offensive line. And, and that's going to be a focal point, you know, to see what this spring looks like up front. Um, obviously quarterbacks and, and how Robbie Ashford, Holden Garner, those guys, how they pick up the offense and do those things is going to be important. But they had to improve the, the lines of scrimmage, and they did a good job of that, both in the portal and in, in late high school recruiting. No question about it. Jason Caldwell covering the Auburn Tigers for AUTigers.com and officially part of the 247 or the 247 Sports Network and AuburnUndercover.com. Jason, you know I can't let you go without talking about LeBaron Phylon and his verbal commitment to the Auburn Tigers. LeBaron had an outstanding day today, scored 32 points as Baker wins 53-41 to over the defending state champions Enterprise. But this young man is special, and if he holds that commitment, and I think he will because of his relationship with not only Coach Pearl but Coach Flanagan, Auburn's going to get a special win, and I know they wish they could get him next year. Yeah, no, actually, uh, myself and Christian Clemente, we were there in Montgomery today, so got to see him play for the second time and now in a couple of weeks. And so he uh, came out in his Auburn T-shirt, wore his Auburn T-shirt in warm-ups, and we got a chance to talk to him afterwards. But, yeah, he scored uh, 30-plus and didn't have a point in the first quarter. The Enterprise came out, played a zone, said, look, we're not going to let you penetrate. And uh, I thought a great job by, by Baker and, and their coaching staff for, by figuring out a way to get them out of that zone. And what they did – and they created some up-tempo situations, and then it became one-on-one basketball, and it was over with. And LeBaron is, is so good in the open court, uh, getting to the rim and using his offhand um, that, that he can get shots up and make shots all over the place. And so, yeah, he's he's a scorer, and, and that's the thing. Um, you know, it's hard to find guys like that. And I think he's a guy that is just now kind of reaching, you know, the, 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 the scratching the surface of what he's going to be as a player moving forward as he continues to develop physically, uh, get stronger, and, and continues to, to refine his shot and do some of those things. Man, he's, he's going to be fun to watch for sure, and he already is. Jason, tell everybody how they can follow you and get up to date on everything that is Auburn. Yeah, you can check us out. Like I said, AuburnUndercover.com, uh, AUTigers.com will get you there as well as part of the 24-7 network. And you can also follow me on Twitter at ITATJason. Appreciate you, Jason. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, George. Jason Caldwell, in his 23rd year of covering the Auburn Tigers, very insightful. Make sure you give him a follow. Michael Braun and I will put the finishing touches and make room for Pigskin Pete and Brian Gennard, who are bringing you the prep spotlight. Coming up next here on WNSP 105.5. This is Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach of South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio, 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. On the final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brauner. And we want to thank our wonderful guest who joined us during this hour, Tom Stipe, who is the engineer producer 
for the Crimson Tide Sports Network, along with Jason Caldwell. He writes for AU Undercover and giving us great insight on to the Tide and the Tiger side of things. And again, Alabama coming up short against Tennessee, ranked number one in the country, and just not able to hold on to it, Mike. And again, five games remaining on that schedule. Auburn with five games remaining as well. And the great thing for both of these teams is, of course, you still have that Alabama-Auburn matchup that's going to take place at Coleman Coliseum. Of course, and I think Alabama should be fine in that, but last night was a bit eye-opening to how teams who – play really tough defense give I, I mean obviously it wasn't a it was far from a cakewalk in Neville Arena the first time the game was tied at halftime they were down uh late in that one as well I I thought for a while they were going to lose that one so Auburn's absolutely a team that uh can give Alabama a lot of problems if the, if Alabama doesn't bring it and obviously it's hopefully you're hoping for a different game in Coleman Coliseum than you got in Neville Arena but we'll see what happens uh, that is certainly the most difficult game left on the schedule for Alabama so that game Alabama and Auburn will be the first of March that gets us really started on March Madness. What a start to March Madness. And no question about it. And a lot to be at stake still for both of these teams as they continue to jockey for position. Want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Tide and Tiger Report here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. I'm Corey Labounty, Michael Brauner behind the glass. We'll talk at you tomorrow. Making room for Pigskin Pete and Brian Gennard. Make sure you tune in for the best of prep sports action.